I think a lot of people have heard of cryonics or are aware of it, but only through references in pop culture. If I do this cryonics procedure on her, there's a chance she'll come back. And the alternative is her soul or her consciousness was just lost to history forever. Going back to high school, like I was just an outsider. So it was major in philosophy, major in sociology, minor in anthropology. So I didn't have a plan. When I was younger, I experimented with psychedelics. That might just be something that my brain can do, but it also, I was not able to dismiss it. I'm like, there's something else there. Yeah, yeah like these people are no fun. Like, these <laughs> rationalist people sitting around counting their supplements. Let's go do some LSD. <laughs> Maybe there is a divergence of humanity. It's possible to think that like some people just have a different evolutionary track. Maybe there's a small faction of people that are going to break away. You didn't think anything radical was going to happen. And then suddenly someone comes up with a new idea and things shift. You have to keep your eyes open for it. Dream up the best possible outcome for what you're doing now. Now I know what it's like to have the tables turn. I see myself, I'm going to say it right now, and it sounds crazy. I, I see myself as like, so I have a lot of work to do. You know, you have yeah. the energy and the charisma, right? I have this. I can go like this, right? So maybe I can talk my way onto a spaceship one day. That's what I'm hoping for. everyone to another brand new episode of Noetic Nomads. I'm Albert Kim, everyone's favorite puppy in primate form. And the reason I even started Noetic Nomads was so I could speak with free radicals like my guest I have here today. The start of her journey was in the wintry wilderness of Western Canada, where her initial forays into philosophy and sociology sparked newfound curiosities within her, once in artificial intelligence, computing, and in the nature of consciousness itself thus beginning an increasingly intriguing itinerary of inquiry, which had her cross paths with ideas, institutions, and individuals on the bleeding edge of innovation, including being a contributor to the transhumanist magazine H+, an affiliate scholar at the Nick Bostrom-founded Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies, and a member of the Ethics Board of the Lifeboat Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping humanity survive existential threats, such as from nanotech and AI, and helping illuminate our many paths to salvation, which even includes the possibility of self-sustaining space colonies. Whoa, nomads, please help me in introducing an author, researcher, content creator, software engineer, technologist, heterodox thinker, cryonicist, what? And member of the next generation of sense makers and change makers. I could be speaking about the one and only Nikki Olsen. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today, Nikki. Wow, that was quite the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for so me. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I mean, thank you so much for agreeing to come on because, wow, like, you know, like, again, like I was telling you, like, before, like, we started this conversation, I was like, you know what? I don't know why. Like, I really don't know much about Nikki at all, but I was like, you know what? Let's invite her to our Sense Maker Change Makers events and then let's invite her on the show. And I was just like, I didn't know why. Like, the universe is telling me to do it. And then when I actually started researching you, I was like, oh my God, you're not just a radical thinker and doer. Like, you know, I have here at No Ignoramance. I mean, we're all like radical, but I mean, you're like a super radical as you call yourself. So again, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I'm really excited for this conversation. And uh, I'd be interested in knowing about how you first became aware of my existence because I first came across you at uh, Rachel Haywire's uh, Elixir Salon uh, back in June. Uh, for those unaware, it was like this amazing event with talks by philosophers, technologists, with like music. 
live burlesque performances, uh, which I very much enjoyed. And you gave a talk there. And uh, that's how I encountered you. But how did you first become aware of like this weirdo over here that you're sitting across from? Yeah, actually, it was the same way. Um, oh, and you made it to the to the burlesque dancer part, which by that point of the evening, there was like very few of us left, right? Ah, like, and so, yeah, I, I remember meeting you there. And yeah, it's unfortunate because it was such a good performance. <laughs> People kind of left. It was, mm. yeah, it was a good event by Rachel. Yeah, uh, that was amazing. And that burlesque performance, like I was just like doing my research. Uh, I forgot her name, uh, but I mean, like she was amazing. And she did uh, a performance to Monty Python's uh, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. I was mm -hmm. like, wow, she won me over just with that. Yeah, because I love yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. And Little Mermaid, right? She did the Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's yeah. super amazing. And uh, you also attended, as I mentioned, uh, the Next Generation of Sensemakers and Changemakers events uh, mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago. And like, again, like, I'm so glad I had you on. And like, uh, when I was there, like, I gave like my little prompts, right? So I like, my first one was like, uh, what is something very interesting that you came across recently, right? And you talk with uh, the members of the breakout group about what you came across. And the other one, that I, I asked about was like what is something like weird or unique about you right and then I would just randomly pop into everyone's breakout room while they're discussing and I popped into your breakout room right when it came in you're like hmm, you're, you're, you're like hmm, you know what something interesting that like not maybe not many people uh, are even aware of or you know, know anyone uh that's in that field is cryonics so I'd be very interested if you could start telling us what exactly how did what is this cryonic thing that you're into and how did that whole thing come to be Okay, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people have heard of cryonics um, or are aware of it, but only through kind of these references in pop culture or um, like movies or um, where else, like television. It's kind of like a sci-fi thing, but um, the idea that you would freeze yourself after death and then come back in the future. So one example would be the movie of Vanilla Sky, although that's like mm. a bit of a weird example because he's having lucid dreams while he's in a cryonic state, which actually is not something that cryonicists think would happen because you're frozen. So nothing's mm -hmm. moving, um, including like your brain cells. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's when I first heard of it and I didn't think anything of it. And then when I got into futurism, uh, cryonics is, you know, coupled with futurism in the sense that, you know, part of the cryonic future requires a kind of advanced technology. So all cryonicists are uh, more or less like see a future of, you know, super advanced technology, you know, with lots of uh, artificial intelligence components, nanotechnology, these kinds of things. Um, I would say like, not all futurists are cryonicists and not all cryonicists are necessarily um, objectively or like consciously futurist, but there's like a tight coupling there. Um, so the idea is that you would, after death, um, you would be uh, frozen, brought down to a very low temperature, liquid nitrogen temperature um, is how it's done right now. So that's like negative, uh, 196 it's like really really mm -hmm. cold and the idea is that at that temperature there's nothing moving no electron like nothing maybe one little bit of movement every thousand years kind of thing mm -hmm. like a little bit of radioactive activity might come in from the outside but otherwise you're like in this uh, glass frozen state and you're just in stasis and the term for that that chronicists often use is called deanimation um you're going about your life you're animated you're a thing that moves and you know your cells are moving and then in the chronic state you're deanimated you're like in a in a stasis and the hope is that you know um as in the past there's been like these progressions in uh science and medicine to where um you know like we didn't think we could 
cure this disease. We couldn't cure that. We couldn't bring uh, people back from like a heart attack, but now we can kind of intervene on that. There's several medical points in history where suddenly there was a new possibility to treat something or to intervene on a medical emergency. So the idea with chronics is that whatever is kind of ailing you now, whether it be cancer or Alzheimer's or something that ultimately leads to your demise, that in the future, that kind of disease would be curable. And so it's just a matter of kind of a time travel. You need to get to that point where mm, you can yeah. be uh, cured of that. And I mean, there's all kinds of objections to this. Like when you go into this frozen state, some damage is done to your cells. And like, how would you repair that damage? It's on a nanoscale. You'd need, you know, molecular nanotechnology, all kinds of things that are up in the air, which is part of why I think a, a, a component of why I think it's not more widely accepted is it's it's really hard to imagine how you would solve all that you know damage and those kinds of things also people naturally want to avoid thinking about death so that's another like <laughs> yeah. aspect of why <laughs> so here i am like <laughs> throwing it in your face yeah. think about death right now <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean that like it's just it's so fascinating but you know I, I was looking into your work and like you had this this fascinating trail and like of like you started like in, in the humanities you did uh, i believe like a double major in philosophy and like sociology and then you got into uh computer science and then i don't know like and just like it's just like i would like to go back because i really want to know like where is the root of this so i would like to ask you so what social group were you a part of in high school and what <laughs> impact did this have on the trajectory you took in your life and career oh man <laughs> i was such an outsider right like yeah. uh, I, I can see that yeah 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 <laughs> well i'm naturally shy probably a little bit autistic and like just lacking mm. in social skills like very introverted so that was part of it but also we moved around a lot when i was young so my father was working for cn rail um and mm. we moved like every five years or or more so i lived in like I mean, I was able to say I lived in five places by the time, by the time I was five. Wow, and so like, yeah. I never had like a way to like get comfortable in a social situation, you know, find friends that I had a history with. And so I think that that led to like being in this kind of outsider status. And mm. When I got to high school, we had moved like in Canada, it goes like usually up to grade nine ninth grade I think you guys say and then yeah. uh 10 to 12 and I had like moved right in like that awkward like you know hormonal 13 year old mm, like, yeah, phase yeah. <laughs> where, like, yeah. suddenly bam like you need to find like your friend group and all that and I just ended up making friends with these you know other kind of outsider types who had like they were on track to try and graduate high school early because they wanted to like they thought they were going to take over the world as like a a Britpop band that was like Canadian oh, but wow. sang with a British accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was around these kind of like you know very smart like you know trying to achieve these things like doing things a bit differently but we were definitely the outsiders like I mean we we smoked cigarettes which looking back I'm not like very proud of we mm. you know we I went to raves and when I was in that period of my life like I I was to paint the picture like I just I was not comfortable socially did not fit in and like was a little bit lost I guess. yeah I know that feel yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah. And then, so like you were like part of this, I don't know, they want to take over the world by graduating early with like a, like a, with like a pop band. I mean, like a, that's interesting. <laughs> and then uh, when you went into a uh, university, uh, you started studying like the humanities and like, this is very interesting to me. Cause I think um, like 
we could get into this uh, later or we could just get into this now because like one of the problems that I have with, with you know, the, the tech realm in general and perhaps even with the transhumanism of which I considered myself a part for a long time, but I feel a little bit, you know, a little, a little iffy about it now is because they come into like this tech realm from like the left brain. They, it's like it's like tech first and like humanity second mm-hmm. or or not at all. But like you, you're coming from it, from like the philosophy background, from the sociology, like my, like my major was in a, it's called technological entrepreneurship. It was like a business slash engineering, like hybrid degree, but I also minored in philosophy. My, the, the philosophy part was actually what I really loved, but the tech, but the tech, you know, the engineering business was like the more practical, but that, that was always on the side, you know, on the side, but really, it was really at the forefront of what, of everything that was driving me. So I was just wondering, like, so, so. Why? So how did it progress to the point where you're studying philosophy and sociology? And then and then how did it get to all this other crazy tech stuff after that? <laughs> right. Um, so like I didn't find high school very challenging. Like I was good at math and science. And so when I went into university, I was naturally inclined towards the sciences. And mm. I went initially officially like into pharmacology. And looking right. back, it was probably like I was I think what I was interested in was consciousness and like Mm. I had gone to these raves and like been around that kind of mind-altering like substance stuff and I was just that's the component that really fascinated me but I started that first year of university and it was like okay learn your statistics learn your very like you know boring kind of intro biology Mm. and like it wasn't like really inspiring me and like I guess looking back I just didn't have like I wasn't able to stick to it. My sister went into engineering, she like stuck to it. And like, I just, Mm. I needed to be like interested and engaged more. And so I took like an intro philosophy class in that year. And um, it was more on the ethics, like this university split it up. Like, you know, you do ethics and politics and then metaphysics and epistemology. So one of them is more technical than the other. And this one was actually just the ethics and uh, political philosophy. And that captured me. I did very well, like very easily did very well. And I was like, okay, my brain is kind of like, this is good for my brain. (laughs) This is how I think this is what I can naturally do somehow like pretty well. And so I just, I did move around a bit more. Like I tried psychology, I tried all these English, English history. I I was just exploring. I was trying to figure out how all the departments kind of fit together, like how there was consilience. How did, how did you integrate one discipline into another? Like I was always kind of trying to figure out, okay, what, what is the best thing to study? How can I like know the most, the best way and you know, the most general. And I was, very restless in university and it took me like five years to finish it because I like kept moving around I ended up having so it was major in philosophy major in sociology minor in anthropology and And then I went back for another year after and did even more philosophy and like linguistics courses because I just Mm. I was unsettled basically (laughs) with it um and so due to like the restlessness I didn't have like a plan okay I graduate then I go into social work or I graduate and then I go into my I didn't have any kind of plan I was just like I graduated I'm done I'm done paying money it's time to like make money or you know however go into a different phase shift in life and at the time I had ended up like meeting a physician who actually was kind of a world famous physician within a particular discipline um, through one of his side interests which was to uh, kind of honor the work of the Canadian poet and singer Leonard Cohen. Um, mm. And this was his kind of side project was to host these Leonard Cohen events in Canada. And at the time I was so into like this more esoteric kind of stuff and, you know, poetry, consciousness, all this kind of stuff you get into in your university years. And uh, I was volunteering for those events. So I had come to know him 
come to met, meet Leonard Cohen through that as well. And it was just a really positive, like unexpected, like thing that happened. And when I graduated, I was lost. He, he was like, you know, let's come work with me, come research with me, come write with me. Like, let's do stuff in futurism. Let's do stuff in poetry, technology, culture, like, and it ended up being a full-time job. And so that's how I, he introduced me to Ray Kurzweil, Aubrey de Grey. Like, wow, that's how yeah. I got into it. Cause like, I didn't know, they don't bring it up in university, right? Maybe they do now, but they didn't back then. So, mm. yeah. 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 Super interesting. And then you got into all that and then you got into futurism. And like I mentioned, you started uh, contributing to like uh, H plus and, and all that stuff. So it was it maybe like 20 late, late, late aughts to like the mid, like 2010s that you were into like the transhumanist scene or what would you say around there um so it was like futurism initially like just explicitly ray kurzweil aubrey de gray i was going to the singularity summit conferences during cool. 2008 to 2000 yeah those were they don't happen anymore but they were cool and um but then i explicitly got into transhumanism i would say late 2010 mm. i realized there was a philosophy there like the founder yeah. ph philosophical founder max moore had written like many papers that were like you know philosophically rigorous he had a phd in philosophy there i was like oh now i'm excited because i had the background in philosophy and so i latched onto that like in 2010 and i was i kind of gradually trickled out by 2014 ish i decided to go and study computer science so mm, yeah, yeah. So I'd be very interested uh, to now explore that because uh, as I hinted at before, like I see, I consider myself like a recovering transhumanist. And it's, it's like, and like, you know, I've been to like uh, some uh, Rachel's uh, sessions at the STOA and she kind of says the same. Um, she was like, I believe a, a, a presidential candidate for the transhumanist party, but then like, she just, she just, I don't, she just rejected the scene. I believe that's my interpretation of it. And like uh, to me, cause to me, like when I like, I came from uh, transhumanism, I, I guess maybe similarly to you from from like the more philosophical background. I was like, to me, it was like, it was the scientific, technological, philosophical and spiritual aspects of what it could be, of what, you know, humanity is becoming, whatever this is in the future is what I was really interested in. It was like the holistic aspect of, of what we are becoming. And right now, like the, the sense that I get is like, it's, it's a very Silicon Valley, like tech bro-ish kind of culture. I was like, you know, I like, like, like Balaji Srinivasan, like I'm, I've been following a lot of his work recently because uh, he's talking about uh, creating like a network state, like a, like a decentralized, like, like, like political entity, like based on like, you know, like little pockets of, of like communities all over the world, like network together via like a VR community, which is interesting. But I don't like the fact that he's a tech pro and he's talking about transhumanism. And the thing is about trans transhumanism, like it's, it's a lot about like, it's a it's very masculine thing where they're trying, they're trying to bypass the human body without my interpretation without taking into consideration the larger ramifications of doing so and and uh it's been described by some uh including people that have mentioned as like an immortality cult like the like they're just <laughs> trying to become like immortal and but i, I mean but it's just like it but i do like there's some of that i do resonate with but like there is some sort of philosophical thing that just doesn't jive with me so i'm just wondering like what your thoughts are on transhumanism and where it stands today and your own relationship to it well i kind of got myself into trouble a little bit in 2000 i think it was 11 where i like came into the scene and i was i don't know 26 27 or something and i looked at like what was going on there and at the time it was heavily influenced by the Ray Kurzweil kind of um, literature or like you know uh, position on things where it was you're in a, like a kind of lockstep 
the the uh, transistors they're like getting more and more and more dense on the chip and eventually you're going to like get into this mm. 2045 you're going to become like a robot and like you're going to merge with machines and they had a very like okay well we're in 2012 and then by 2020 it'll be like this by 2030 and everyone seemed to me like they were in kind of a the final phase of like you know a certain kind of uh lifestyle or you know phase of humanity and uh, it just seemed like as a 26 year old who used to like go to raves and like be more of like a you know exploratory person that like it, it was it felt a little bit stifling or a little bit off so I wrote this article how to transhumanist party and I got in trouble with that article because <laughs> all of the, <laughs> yeah. I kind of accused people of being you know single-mindedly directed towards a particular kind of future and mm. without enough kind of exploration um, yeah. and I I, I was I, I think I was picking up on something there, uh, but it wasn't completely the correct like criticism because I think, you know, earlier transhumanism, but wasn't as completely like shut down in that sense as I was picking up. Uh, but, you know, so I do, I agree with what you're saying. There is like factions of transhumanism that are just, I can't enter those spaces, like less wrong space. Like mm, I've never yeah. felt like I could vibe with those people. And so, yeah. Yeah, like uh, there is a bit of a like a, a like a techno determinism, and it's very. Right. There are definitely very religious aspects in there. Like they will deny it. Like this is not a religion. This is completely rational. Like, this is so religion. Let's talk about you know the rapture, and it's just like oh, we're going to be saved once the singularity hits. Like we're just praying. We're just yeah. praying for the UFO to come down here or, or whatnot. It's just something like that. So there is uh, you know some aspect of that which I find a, a little little weird. So I mean like so I'm very curious. So what happened? So you said maybe like around 2014 or so, and then you got out of that and then you got into uh, computer science. So I was very interested. So how did that come about and where did that lead to this computer science realm? Well, so I started like studying obviously philosophy of AI and that mm -hmm. got me into like, what is a computer? <laughs> like, and yeah. it was really kind of puzzling questions of like, can a digital thing be conscious and how could that be the case? And all those kinds of really interesting conversations you can have around artificial intelligence and mind augmentation and, and that kind of thing. So I started like getting into, you know, technical questions of like what exactly is going on in a computer, which led me to, I mean, my career at that point was blogging and like uh, writing a book, which ultimately didn't get published, but there was just like no career path there for me in terms of mm. like a financially stable career. So I, I have to do something. What is it? Let's do computer science because it's, you know, something I'm already interested in. So, mm. yeah. And then I saw that um, you're working in like blockchain and all that and uh, you know, the distributed ledgers and all that. And like, I saw that also that uh, <laughs> I saw a tweet, which I found very interesting because uh, I know that feel that uh, like someone was asking you about like advice about, hey, should I buy Bitcoin at this price? And you're like, yeah, was that like 18K? It's like, yeah, definitely do it. I got like, I don't know, Ripple, you said, or ETH or whatnot. And it's like, yeah, do it. And then right after, it crashed to 6K. And I know that feel. I'm like, oh my God, I told him to buy it. And this happened. Like I told, I remember I told someone like at the beginning of 2018, right before the crash, I was like, dude, buy Ether. Ether's huge. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he bought it. And then like a couple of weeks later, he's like, yo, I bought even more Ether. I was like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> it just went down. Like it was at like, like Ether was at like 1700. And then like, 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 I don't know if it was last year or like earlier this year, it was like under a hundred. I was just like, oh my God. And now uh, obviously it's all back now. And now we, we feel better about that. I mean, right, right now, 
as we're speaking, today's December 19. I mean, like Bitcoin hitting all time highs and like we're it, it's starting to it's starting to go right now. So, I mean, like I'm just wondering uh, what your thoughts on like the, the like the state of the art of like uh, crypto or blockchain in general. Like, wh- are you how bullish are you in the future? Where do you see it heading? Um. Yeah, regarding that tweet, I actually did message the person and be like, it's at 24K. Please don't hate me. Look, it, look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you probably sold it in the meantime and uh, the losses. Like, look, I hodl, hodl, everyone. Don't forget H O D L. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, regarding Bitcoin, like, I think there's a lot of interesting applications of it in the future. I don't know about it as a currency. I mean, obviously it's too slow and it's very energy intensive and there's been all these uh, um, innovations to it to try and like reduce those uh, components, but I I don't see it going away. Um, there's lots of interesting things you can do with it. For instance, the company that I work for right now, Block Deliver, is trying to make a decentralized uh, content delivery network, which is um, a way of like caching content closer to users and finding a way to uh, use your home computer to like deliver content to someone else. So maybe you can store some YouTube videos and your neighbor wants to watch a video and they get it from you rather than getting it from a server somewhere ah, else. And yeah. you would use a blockchain to do that so that you can get paid. And there's a distributed ledger about it to keep track of like the, the financial aspects. So it's like things that you wouldn't think of that necessarily, if you're not in technology, they wouldn't like blow your mind and think that's so exciting. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a significant innovation um, in terms of software and, and that kind of thing. It's where it's going hard to say you know yeah Yeah. well yeah that's the thing like here's the thing about bitcoin like i don't know like i don't know like i have like this image of bitcoin in my mind almost like the dollar almost like the dollar of crypto or like i don't know like maybe even like the english language of crypto is like the like the de facto but like to me like i'm i agree completely with like Bitcoin is not quote unquote the future but like crypto in general and blockchain in general i'm very bullish about that and like, honestly, like people like there have been predictions right now that this is going to like, you know, do like six, 10 times in value within the next five years. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be very bullish. And that'd be great for the person that you advise to uh, buy all that. They still have it. So, yeah, I'm definitely uh, a bullish on that. So now so we went to like uh, the humanities. So first of all, the, the first of all, the want to take over the world by graduating high school early with your, you know, rock band or whatnot and then then the humanities and then uh the philosophy ai transhumanism and then we talk about the the, the a uh the blockchain so i'm very interested so where does the cryonics fit into all this like how did that get into the picture yeah that's kind of um an interesting subcomponent um because i had been i guess sold on cryonics like in a rational way originally like um through you know the of you know technology is going this way and it's going to eventually be able to do these things and it just seemed like okay well it's better than no chance at the future like if you um are buried or cremated like there's zero percent percent chance that you're coming back in the future Mm -hmm. but if you do cryonics even if the chance is like 0.1 you know it's still something right so there was kind of this binary uh component to it like it's either it, it made sense rationally to me. So I hadn't signed up. Like I was a young person. I was like, I'm not like going to die anytime soon. And mm. I was in Canada at the time when we don't have chronics in Canada, like the major chronics providers are in the U S there's some in Europe, Russia, I think one starting in Australia, very small community, but nothing in Canada. So I just wasn't signed up. I didn't really think about it that much. I moved to the U S five years ago, visited Alcor, which is, I guess the biggest um, chronics like facility and did the tour heard the arguments i was like yeah okay yeah that's rational that's something i should do right like if i'm thinking rationally 
I didn't have a life insurance policy at the time I was a student. Like that's how you sign up for chronics. You basically just sign your life insurance policy over to them. So that mm, after that like covers the cost of the chronic procedure and storage. And so I just didn't think that much of it, but um, and then uh, last year or 2019, yeah, early 2019, my cat was diagnosed with cancer and I didn't think um, I was gonna chronically preserve her like you know, before that, but then as it got closer to the final days, I just started having more of like a, an existential, I guess, more female, like, you know, nurturing kind of shift where mm. I was looking at her life and she had lived 20, 21 and a half years. She was like this fighter of like an animal. She had like just a big soul to me. And I thought, well, I mean, if I do this chronic procedure on her, like there's a chance that she'll come back. And the alternative is that her I guess the way I thought of it was that her like her soul or her consciousness or her being was just lost to history forever. And like something like mothering kind of instinct kicked in in me. Like I can't let that happen to her. I can't let her be gone forever. And so I found myself like crowd preserving my cat at the Chronics Institute. Oh, and interesting. So that kind of let, I, and I'm getting older too. I'm 37 now. So mm. I think that kind of denial of death that you have when you're younger and like you, you don't actually think you're immortal but you don't address it um just it was everything happening around the right time suddenly I kind of got it on like a more an emotional level of mm -hmm. uh the whole thing and then after that I became more involved in the chronics communities and all that because I thought it's so small why does no one else care why is no one else doing this like there's total of like 400 people frozen between cats and pets like it's such a small number or maybe it's like yeah. 600 it's so small you know like you think of all the people in the world mm. so yeah yeah I mean that yeah that's really interesting and um I love that you brought up like the the, the kind of looking at it from like the rational you could say, even say the the masculine point of view the left brain point of view is like oh this is rational I should you know do this and that and then you, and then you talk about with the cats like oh my god and the right brain the more feminine intuitive and like this is very interesting because in my research I came across this stat that uh trionicists they tend to be predominantly uh non-religious white males and that there's like a three to one ratio of males to females so I'm just like curious about if you have a particular take on that and do you see any implications from this disparity again like this three to one ratio male female like non-religious white males like do you have any take right, on that yeah so i've been in a lot of spaces where i'm like the minority in terms of being <laughs> female <laughs> yeah and yeah, i guess that just like keeps happening especially once you get into stem you'll see that too although that's changing there's a lot more female computer science now than there used to be but mm. um for transhumanism that was the case like it's definitely a stem like more stem oriented field and then um with computer science and then with cryonics um so what I think it is like partially is that it's harder for women, I think, to do something that's socially against the grain, like so something that's socially kind of unacceptable that people don't want to think about. They don't want to hear about it. Uh, women have a stronger need to kind of be socially accepted than men and to mm -hmm. like, you know, help others around them feel socially accepted and that kind of thing. So um, I just like going back to high school, like I was just an outsider. So I didn't have the same kind of impulse. Like I already felt exposed and kind of embarrassed and like uncomfortable all the time. So like being part of a social group that people thought poorly of just didn't like bother me as much. So I think that's one thing that keeps women away is like this, I don't want to be part of people look at chronic, it gets such bad press, right? And so mm. I just don't want to have that affiliation. They have a stronger like um, impulse to move away from that and not even listen to the arguments. Um, but I'm part of like these Sunday hangouts with chronics and I've met a lot of chronicists. The females that I've met have tended to be more like left brain, you know, like they're, mm, yeah. they did like a geophysics degree or they, they did a law degree or, you know, something like that. So I don't see a lot of, 
And I mean, uh, Rachel, who we spoke of before, she's not yeah. into chronics. Like, I don't I can't <laughs> yeah. find like a chronicist who's more esoteric. Although, um, well, yeah, no, I can't really think of them. <laughs> mm, yeah. And um, again, um, and like, I, I just love this topic so much because again, this is something that like, like, you know, I'm like, again, like a kind of like a transhumanist type person. I, I'm, inter- I, I'm interested like kind of intellectually and also like maybe even like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do in the future with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like maybe like, I don't know, 50 years from now or who knows because who knows what's going to happen. But uh, so um, as I mentioned before, like before we started this, uh, the recording is uh, FM 2030. Uh, so for those who are unaware, like, first of all, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, from what I know about FM 2030, he was like a transhumanist philosopher, a, a futurist, and like really one of the, like the, the founders of like this kind of uh, transhumanist thinking. And uh, he died in 2000 of pancreatic cancer, and he was placed in cryo, uh, cryonic suspension at uh, Alcor uh, in, in Scottsdale, like, uh, like you mentioned. And uh, from my research, he was, he was the, what's he, the first person to be vitrified which means that he was cooled to the cry- cryogenic temperatures, uh, uh, which, uh, but without uh, causing ice crystal formation, which would uh, make it uh, more feasible to, I don't know, animate him or like do whatever with him. Um, so, but here's the thing. Have you seen the film that came out earlier this year, uh, 2030? I haven't Have seen that. No, oh my god this is yeah uh um earlier this year 2030 i believe it was originally came out in like film festivals in like 2018 or so uh it was by uh john uh johnny boston who was uh fm's good friend he first met fm when uh johnny was like 13 years old and like it basically goes into where like uh alcor was going to revive fm and they wanted to bring johnny in to film it and then we get into this crazy story where there's like there's intrigue, there's like conspiracies going on, and like I just want and like I, like I don't know it it's, it came off it was very bizarre and surreal, and I, and like I thought it was a documentary, but it was weird. But then it did some research, like maybe it was like a fictionalized documentary. But I just wonder if you had any thoughts, if you heard anything about that. No, I had never I never heard of that before. Uh, there are like obviously scandals with chronics that like people like to bring up, but I don't know if they were in that particular film. Um, like for instance, there's the, the Ted Turner tuna can, like head tuna can thing that keeps people bring up. Like there, I think something to like keep in mind is that like these chronics facilities were very small. They're outside of medicine, like proper, right? Mm-hmm. They're not regulated in exactly the same way. And they're trying to operate at the margins and sometimes i guess you just attract some weird people <laughs> who want to yeah. do weird things yeah. so yeah yeah i mean i mean like uh, like as an outsider uh to the well i guess i guess to the cryonics field and like of course like like you mentioned like it's a it's still very niche and i'm sure people would be interesting but like okay where are we right now with the whole cryonics field it's just like for example like let me bring uh bring up um like a 2018 like there was a startup called nectome and they developed a, a method of uh, preserving brains with chemicals uh, rather than by freezing, but it's fatal, right? It's basically like they're euthanizing you, but the hope is that in the future, they'd be able to like upgrade, uh, I mean, um, upload uh, your brain into, into a computer, into a computer simulation, like neuron by neuron. So like, I just want to know like, like, where's the current, like what's the current state of the art of like cryonics and all that uh, like related fields? Right. Um, so the the kind of chemical preservation or aldehyde fixation um, mm. that's not al- that's not offered by Alcor or Chronix Institute. They've kind of taken a, a definitive stance against that right now. Um, so you have two kind of components of Chronix. You have the people who want their biological body uh, to come back, or you know their head, or you know 
um, or whatever, like in its biological form. And then maybe you're going to do something technological after that. You'll gradually upload yourself or you'll gradually convert into a machine or that kind of thing. And then there's a component of people who they, they're not interested in that at all. They think that their self can be just uh, replicated in like a VR kind of world. Um, mm, and yeah. so it doesn't matter to them that with the chemical kind of cryonics, the aldehyde fixation that uh, you're destroying, like you're gluing together basically your brain and you can't actually revive it uh, as it is at that point. So they think that doesn't matter because I'm going to upload. So what we're going to do is we're going to copy, you know, my memory pattern, put that into a computer and then mm. there I'll be, I'll go on in my life and in, in the future in virtual reality, or maybe I'll go into a robot body or whatever. And so there's a division in the field. There's a division between people, like their intuitions. Is that really me? Is that copied self that like came out of the chemical brain? Is that really me? Or do I need to be, is my consciousness somehow in my biological being and I have to do something else to get to a robot state? Like it's, mm. there's, it's a debate. It's an open debate, but the major um, facilities, they don't do the chemical preservation. There's one small place in Oregon, Oregon Chronics, they're experimenting with it, but they're not taking new patients. It's, it's a minority view in the field. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. And that's like something that I've been like getting into conversations with. It's just like the whole mind uploading thing. Cause it's just like, it's just like, okay, like perhaps they could upload your mind, uh, you know, into a simulation or whatnot, but it's like, is that really you? Do you really even care? <laughs> and just like, and then it just, it gets into like all these other crazy conversations. And like, and like, um, I saw that, um, I was looking at your tweets and that uh, I saw that you attended the annual general meeting of the cryonics Institute with, uh, David Edinger and David Edinger. He's a son of the father of cryonics, uh, Robert Edinger. So I'm very interested, like, uh, um, how involved are you in like the cryonics Institute? And like, like basically what exactly is your relationship with cryonics? Like, are you like, like, like right now currently participating in it like in an institute like what is your level uh right now with the whole chronics field so i'm not like formally involved in anything uh right now the annual general meeting was open to anyone who uh has, was a member and since um i had my cat cryopreserved at chronics oh, institute okay. i had become a member so i just attended that to kind of see okay are they doing a good job like what are their what's their balance sheet like like are they going to continue to exist in 30 years like just kind of out of curiosity. Um, so yeah, nothing formal, um, but I am working on a Chronix application in software to try and deal with a problem that we have in Chronix, which is um, unattended death. Um, so with Chronix, you want to start the Chronix procedure immediately after someone is pronounced dead. Mm. Everything's intact. It's easier to do the Chronix uh, procedures um, to get to the vitrification state um, that you were talking about before with FM. Um, but lots of the times people are, they're senior, they're at home alone and, you know, days pass before someone's aware of their passing and that they've, you know, they've signed up for chronics. Maybe they moved to Scottsdale so they could be close to Alcor. They're all ready. Like they're prepared mentally. Like this is a priority for them. They've, you know, got everything else in order. And then this tragic thing happens where they're home alone and then days go by and then like most of the memory and the, the brain starts to break down. And so the personhood kind of leaves, you know, gradually over those two days, three days, and it's lost, you know, I mean, they still preserve you at Alcor or CI, you know, in the hopes that something can, you know, come of it, but it's really tragic. And so with now with like the internet of things, you know, smartwatches, phones, 
you know, always on kind of culture, there should be a way to <laughs> prevent this, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, given my background now with computer science and just the network of people I'm uh, involved with, we're trying to find a reasonable solution to that problem. So mm. that's like kind of my involvement. Mm. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, okay. So I see like all your different interests and in, in, in spheres uh, coalescing right now. And uh, that's something that I wanted to ask you about because, uh, you know, like since this COVID thing hit, you know, just like, I was wondering, like, 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 first of all, first of all I noticed that I looked in your Twitter account, right? Sorry for stalking you. I do this for all my guests. Like, don't take it personally, right? So I, 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 I looked at your Twitter account and I noticed that your, your first tweet was only back in June. Now, I completely resonate with this because I'm the same. My, I was completely off Twitter, social media, but like back in June, I started tweeting. Now, I mean, obviously, like th there's a reason for this, obviously, like this whole period that we're in, right? So I'm curious, like, like how had, like, how has anything shifted in you, like, since COVID hit? Like, whether it's with your relationship to the world or with your interests in general. Like, I'll give my personal example. Like, I was working for a tech company before this COVID hit, like, early, like, early uh, uh, last winter. A tech company, like, I was trying to get, like, uh, restaurants, suppliers to, to sign up for, like, a, an ordering app, right? It's <laughs> just like, it was, you know, it was just like this very, you know, tech, you know, normal uh, tech bro-y thingy. And then COVID hit, and I was like, oh, shoot that's not going to work so well anymore now, is it? Right. So I went through like this incubation period of a few uh, of like several months over the spring and summer. Like I did a lot of inner work. Uh, I mentioned like in my previous episodes, like at Rebel Wisdom, I took their, uh, like a, their sense speaking one-on-one course. I did a lot of shadow work integration. I read a lot of philosophy. I attended Stoa sessions. I don't know uh, if you, how, if you attend those sessions or not, or, but I uh, like, I, um, so, and I did it like that. And then all of a sudden, boom, October, I was like, okay, it's time for me to launch Noetic Nomads. Here we are, December 19. I'm talking with the amazing Nikki Olsen about cryonics and transhumanism, futurism. So like this, like a lot of this starts shifting for me, like when COVID hit. And it was because of COVID. Without it, this would have never happened. So I'm just wondering, like, is there anything, do you feel anything personally for you start to shift uh, during this period? I wish I wish I could give a similar kind of account. Like for me, it was like I graduated and I wanted to start my career, so I've been kind of singularly focused on building a software development career. But mm. um, I, I, I mean, I was always like someone who stayed at home. But I, I find with the COVID stuff now that everyone has Zoom and like events like yours, like we get mm. to like meet more people, and I feel like there's yeah. something happening in terms of like connecting people because we, I, especially with software and computer work, we could always have worked from home. Yeah, and like right. I hated like you know parking in Seattle, like all this. Why it doesn't have to be this way? And I'm really excited for people to move out, you know, to move out into the mm. suburbs, have more space, pursue their own hobbies, do things like you know more hands-on DIY, like. I think it's going to be really good for people developmentally to like be able to be in a quieter place, you know, and, and, and then connect like through events like yours and Rachel's. And so mm. I feel like there's something shifting, but then we also had the election year this year, which is hellish, right? So <laughs> I'm still waiting for the collateral damage from that. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm assuming right? it's coming soon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, I know, like, again, as I mentioned, like, you were at Racial Salon, uh, which was, I, I love that. And I'm so glad you came to mine. And uh, so, I mean, like, again, like, are you in, like, any other, like, uh, salon? I mean, you seem pretty, like, I, I mean, my take, you mentioned, like, you're kind of introverted. But, but I mean, like, you, I would love to see you at, like, talking at, like, the Stoa sessions or any of these other communities. Uh, when I was, like, uh, uh, you know, going over your work, I noticed that, like, you were, like, um, 
yeah, I'm obviously, I mean, Rachel Haywire, she's, she was a big part of the transhumanist movement. Obviously you were into transhumanism. So how did that, uh, so how did you first encounter Rachel? Like, and how was that, uh, relationship? Like, like, is it like, uh, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you like first come into contact with like Rachel and such? Yeah. So it, it happened on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and that article that I mentioned earlier about how to transhumanist party, um, she kind of came to my defense with that because, you know, ah, Rachel, I see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can like, see yeah, that. Yeah, like these people are no fun. Like they're like these <laughs> rationalist people sitting around like counting yeah. their supplements and like, <laughs> like let's go do some LSD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not it. like explicitly that, but you know, like she was more like, you know, where's the party? Like this is a social group. Where's the party? And mm-hmm. so um, that we kind of connected, got on the same wavelength there. And then um, at the time, like, because I graduated from a humanities program, like social sciences, like you know, sociology. I was like you know, amorphously kind of like a democratic, you know, middle of the road, like politically. And Mm -hmm. I noticed Rachel was a little bit more, I wouldn't like now when, now I would say Rachel's kind of mellow with politics, but back then she was like, you know, rampant, like kind of individualism. And like, she even got into uh, like neo reaction after that and was Mm -hmm. involved with um, like the dark enlightenment stuff. And and all that and I was just kind of I'm intrigued by Rachel like I I respect her a lot in terms of like just what she puts out there I've never liked you know heavy music there's components of Rachel that I just don't get and like I'll never be on the same wavelength but then I just I admire her so much of like how she's explored all these different like weird spaces and just come she's when you talk to Rachel she's so uh normal in some sense but the image she puts out there is so intriguing yeah yeah exactly like if you just like you know like i go back like like i had never seen like you know i had known uh you know about you know some of rachel's work and and, and you know a little bit about you know her past but like i didn't really know the rachel of back then like when i was looking you know was looking at your work and then i came across like these old rachel interviews and she's just looking straight out of like the year 2050 like all these crazy hair and it's like oh my god and then i look at her now i had no idea it was like that right so i mean because like i've attended her sessions at like the store right i mean I, and i know you know she's she's very she's very into the, the aesthetic and, and all that but wow i didn't no, it was like that. But again, like you and her in a podcast, that would be amazing because <laughs> the world needs more Nikki. This is why you're here. Radical <laughs> fingers and doers. You describe yourself as a, as a free radical, not just a regular radical, a freaking free radical. So again, I, I definitely love to see that. Um, so, and again, so at uh, uh, Rachel's Elixir Salon, um, your talk uh, was on, uh, I believe it was Weinstein's uh, a portal uh, hypothesis. And uh, specifically it was like, you asked the question, in a period of uh, digital echo chambers and increasing authoritarian cultural tones, I'm reading this verbatim, do such exit mechanisms really exist? Now, I, f- I found this a, a very interesting question. I forget your answer. I mean, I barely remember anything from there other than like burlesque and like the Zoom bombing, which is one of my favorite moments of my life. I don't know if you wa- saw me laughing during the Zoom bombing. It was honestly one of the best moments ever. But yes, I was just wondering, like, can these exit mechanisms really exist in this current, I guess, like information, uh, uh, like ecosystem? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think definitely yes. And Mm -hmm. I, what I, what I really was inspired by, by Eric Weinstein was just the reminder, like when you, when you study things a lot, like, especially when you get into humanities, like, and you do like economics or social science, evolutionary biology, everything starts to like make sense and you think, okay, this is how things are. I know how things are. This is how things are going to be. These are the ways, these are the constraints. This is how we're locked in and we're going to gradually do this stuff. And, you know, it it starts to feel so confining. And 
um, Eric Weinstein's portal presentation on Joe Rogan just reminded me that like there's periods of history where you go along and you didn't think anything radical was going to happen and then suddenly someone comes up with a new idea and things shift there actually is space there are degrees of freedom you have to keep your eyes open for it it's kind of like the Truman show like door when he mm, leaves yeah. like uh, we're in a period where like obviously land is saturated like there's nowhere there's no new frontier to go like you can't oh i have my group of people and we have this new idea we're going to try it out okay let's go to this land over here and we're going to try it out there nothing like that exists mm. so it's going to have to come about in some other way like in a digital space or you know space space i don't know but uh, th this idea of like keeping your eyes open how can i get out of this you know feeling where Every, the, the future is so mapped out like it's going to go this particular way the dollar is going to go like this and you know this country is going to slightly do this and it's just it's confining you have to keep your eyes open for mm. possibilities yeah absolutely i so believe in the portals like i just tweeted today right before our conversation i tweeted hello is a portal that's it hello hello and then boom all this happens and like ever since i started this project i just keep saying hello before i was not like again like like you i didn't like i didn't start tweeting until june i was like in my own little bubble and then i was like i just started doing this nodding nomad thing and i was like okay now i have to say hello even when i'm not comfortable i have to say hello 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 and then all of a sudden boom hey hey let me introduce you to these people boom let me let me add you to this group i'm like oh my god what the hell is going on and it's like, it is like these portals are happening right now. We're opening a portal. We don't know where it's going. Right. But <laughs> something, <laughs> something's happening, you know, like, so, I mean, I, I'm completely with that. And like, I guess maybe Nordic Nomad is his is own portal. Like, I'm having, look, I started this site. Look, I have no idea how to, how to code anything. I'm just using all WordPress plugins. So I have so many problems with, you know, messaging on the site. So I opened up, they're like, Hey, I opened up a discord. I just told everyone to join the Discord. Boom, and all these other conversations start happening on the Discord that wouldn't happen here. I was like, "Wow, I just opened up another portal with the Discord." So yeah, I'm uh, completely with you on that. Again, like I got into the reason that I'm into well, one of the reasons I'm into transhumanism is because like I used to have really bad health problems. I was in a really bad state for a long time, and to get out of it, I really I got super obsessed with health, fitness, nutrition, spirituality, breath work, and all that stuff, yoga, and biohacking. So, you know, like people wear like, uh, uh, like Dave Asprey's work and like Ben Greenfield and, and all that such. And like, they're, you know, experimenting themselves, no tropics, devices. I got my aura ring right here. I, I wear a freaking, uh, a grounding bracelet where I'm like, I'm literally electrocuted all day by this thing. <laughs> so like I do the, all that kind of stuff. So like in order to like kind of upgrade, you know, improve and, and like increase my capacity. So I'm just wondering like what sort of practices, like uh, if any, like are you personally into where there are, you know, any transhumanisty type things, biohacking or anything like that? And like, uh, and where do you see yourself like, where do you see your personal relationship with stuff like transhumanism going into the future? Is it going to be like, hmm, maybe I'll, uh, you know, I'll be part of this whole chronic experiment as well. I'm just wondering uh, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I also like Ben Greenfield and it's mm. interesting because he's like outside of transhumanism. He's not involved with any of that stuff. Yeah. And yet to me, he's one of the most fascinating people in the space of like biohacking and like, you know, kind of mm. dealing with the condition of your body, like, yeah. you know, the, and so I obviously like very technological person, like I have a Twitter account and I, I don't like to get too far into the space of, I think Ben Greenfield, um, he turns his Wi-Fi off at night and like mm. he, I, I mean, I don't, I don't go that far with it. Yeah, although I'm I not see, that extreme either. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
like, I still want my security cameras to work and like, there's certain trade-offs you have to make. Like, and so I have the aura ring. Um, oh, but, you do? Wait, are you wearing it right now? No, I can't wear it in the day. I find it too uncomfortable. I don't oh, know really? Oh, you, oh yeah. so you just, you just track it for the sleep and all that. Okay. Tracking. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of people that I pay attention to that are explicitly outside of any kind of transhumanist space. Um, uh, what's his name? Peter Atia is another Atiyah, one. Of those. Yeah. The drive. Yeah. 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 I think there's these, these ways that you can like, we're getting little bits of knowledge about like microbiome stuff about sleep, about, um, like how much sugar you eat, all these different kinds of diet. We're mm. gradually like chipping away at getting, you know, information here. So we can actually, uh, live a better life, like feel happier, <laughs> you know, like I had a major back injury in 2008 that I've kind of, it's been plaguing me ever since. And like with the transhumanist kind of dream, there was this, you know, connection to it in the sense that, oh, okay, well I can fix this. Like, I don't have to like live like this, you know, I can get yeah, some kind of treatment yeah. like stem cells or something more advanced, like someday. And it, it gave me that sense of optimism. So I think it's really good, you know, to look at like medicine and science and all that, as it, can, it can help you feel like, okay, the future can be better. Like, you know, maybe mm -hmm. something you're dealing with now, you won't always have to deal with. But I also like balance that against like, what can I do now in terms of like, especially, I mean, even like the Vegas nerve stuff or like the Wim Hof things. I'm always like, yeah. I want to hear more because there's something awesome. to it, yeah. right? And like medical science is not paying attention to everything that's mm -hmm. important with this kind of thing, so. Yeah, that's super exciting to hear. I didn't know you were into all that stuff as well. Cause like, cause, cause a lot of things like, you know, it seems like, again, like, like I said, with like many of like the, uh, the, the left brain people, like, it's like, they like to think about it, but they don't actually embody this stuff. Right. But like the fact that I hear that you're super into the, and, and Brent Greenfield, I love Ben Greenfield. Literally this laptop right now is, is, is propped on top of, uh, his book, uh, Boundless. This 500 page book, I spent I spent like 200 hours over the summer reading that thing and studying it. So yeah, I love his stuff. That's awesome to hear that you're super into that stuff, really embodying this. Um, so this is what I'm. I, this is one I, I I really want to explore this. And I the more I do these episodes, I'm like, I have to bring this up every single time. Especially okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna do some inside baseball. I just recorded an episode. I don't know if you know uh, Uber Boyo. Uh, he he was at he was actually at the event, but basically he he goes deep into um Jung and Nietzsche in like the the left uh right uh brain hemisphere dichotomy and like how like you know like going back to the bicameral mind like all these hypotheses and uh, he 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 uh, released an episode uh just pretty recently about how the CIA the CIA uh, um experiments uh the project uh the Stargate project uh, have you heard of it Okay, so see, so basically, um, they looked at the the role of the different hemispheres of the brain play, and that uh, they found that if they could, if they could sync, if they do, it's called hemisync. If they could sync up the left and right hemispheres, right, uh, you know, and, and like maybe something to do with like the the, the thalamus and like uh, the, the the pineal gland, right? If they could sync it a certain way, that this could kind of amplify a person's ability to to basically project astrally and do remote viewing and that kind of stuff and that's very interesting because i first heard of that stuff like way back when i was like 19 20 years old i read a book called mind reach by russell targ and harold Putoff on on uh, remote viewing and like that kind of stuff and and i'll just in like I, I i wasn't so sure about it but it always intrigued me so you you i mean one of your big interests is in consciousness right what is it and like, you know, like I'm kind of like semi into quantum physics and all the different interpretations of what could that could mean. What are your thoughts on something like remote viewing on consciousness? Like, is this just something that's arising out of our physical substrate? 
or, or is it is this something else? And can we go beyond this quote unquote meat suit that some transhumanists like to call it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's it's one of the most interesting questions, right? And mm-hmm. um, I am so from a phil- philosophical standpoint, I am a physicalist in the sense that I mm-hmm. do think it is coming from the brain, but I also think um, in a panpsychist kind of way that like all matter is probably conscious. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, like a particular configuration that comes together in the human brain that produces this unified self stream that we that we have. But I also like when I was younger, experimented with psychedelics like uh, psilocybin you know, things like that. And it just gave me the sense that like, I mean, that might just be something that my brain can do, like create those kind of intuitions that you get from psychedelics, but it also, I was not able to dismiss it. Like, I'm like, there's something else there. And whenever I go down those rabbit holes, you start to get like, some people get really crazy and they they start saying things that like become objectively, like, you know, not scientific. I don't really care. Like, I want to hear the ideas. I'm comfortable yeah. like hearing the ideas. Uh, in terms of consciousness, this is something I get into with, um these mind uploading people or or that kind of thing is we don't know yet like how you actually produce this conscious experience of self of a unified stream of sensation that is completely integrated um and so like if, if i look at my hand like i see my my hand i don't see like the my thumb i don't i see it all at once there's a sense in which all of it becomes integrated into a single point of like perception and how does the brain <laughs> create that like th- to me there's this I mean, and Eric Weinstein brings this up as well, is that physics is like stalled in like the 1970s. It hasn't been big progress in physics. Mm. Like we haven't, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's no unified theory of physics. I mean, it's very interesting. It's very difficult to understand and get into it like with all the mathematical components. You have to actually really study for years to like start to like think about it like comprehensively. But it's undeniable that there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. And probably to me that like somehow consciousness is worked into that there's something interesting going on from a physical standpoint that we don't know about and whether that means there can be you know entanglement you know or you know many worlds i guess is another possibility there's so many things that it's an open question and i think like it's really important some of these rationalist type they get like locked down they're like no the brain mm-hmm. has a brain state it produces the conscious state and you're going along in a deterministic manner and there's your future and it's like i'm not on that like wavelength at all mm, yeah and uh really with that and like like i i just saw like evan at the stoa uh like my friend the stoa like he just had this whole um presentation on the bridge on how um kind of like how like science is not a path to like to really like to progress up like the stages development like you know are you aware like keegan stage development like level three level four level five it's kind of like you know like how you progress like through like these you know human developmental stages and like science is like science is not it's a knowledge quest right but it's not going to get you past that thing and like and he, he's talked about how like metacognition right metacognition like we think about what metacognition is thinking about thinking but no like it's kind of like no the the telescope cannot see itself what you need is something outside of this quote unquote, you know, rational cognitive realm in order to see it. So he's talking about like, like phenomenological self-inquiry sort of coming from like the, the ancient wisdom traditions, like maybe like a, like a Buddhism or like a Gnostic Christianity, some sort of like deeply going aside and like kind of contemplating uh, experience itself that can help see and progress to see, Oh, okay. You know, like kind of like, you know, like to get past the Sam Harris level of development where he's like, no, you are irrational. You are wrong. <laughs> Trump is evil. Like, it's kind of that thing. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I definitely find that very interesting. And um, so I'm just wondering right now, like, 
where are you right now? Like, for example, my, as I mentioned, the first prompt at the uh, next uh, generation of SenseMakers and Changemakers event was, what is it? What's something that you've come across recently, whether it's a book, an idea, a movie, a show, whatever, is that that just blown your mind? That's really been like, oh, man, this is really awesome. And I want to share with the world. So I really want to know, like, what is it that Nikki Olsen has come across that she's like, who, everyone, this seems a little interesting. Look at that. What do you think? Oh man, like, well, I, I really didn't like my answer that I gave in that <laughs> question period. <laughs> you can um, redeem yourself right now. I, I mean, no pressure, just whatever's interesting. <laughs> I just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't, so like I mentioned earlier, um, I've been so locked into, I want to develop my career. Like I want to get going and get some momentum in terms of software development. So mm. I just haven't done anything interesting in the last year. Like it's, uh, I, see. I haven't seen any new shows. I haven't read any good books. The one thing that did come up though, because we, we are in an election year um, is I never went into like the dark enlightenment or the, um, the neo reaction stuff before. Uh, I always was like, I don't want to go anywhere near like that alt-right stuff. I just like outright like dismiss it as like, it's like, you know, this racist kind of, you know, thing that's happening. But um, I did end up looking at a couple of like their, a couple of interviews with uh, Curtis Yarvin and, and those kind of people. And I realized it's not as weird and like bad as I thought it was gonna be. So that was like the, the one thing that I came to this year is I think people could benefit from really thinking about what is democracy? What are democratic civilizations? Maybe they are the paramount like of our existence, but are you sure of that? Like, what are you sure about? I never wanted to question, you know, I don't want to live in a non-democratic society, but I think they have some really interesting like observations about the way that things break down or the instabilities of a democratic society. So that was really, it's so, <laughs> You talk about like being a female who goes into spaces where people don't yeah, want to go. Yeah. <laughs> like that is like further than chronics or transhumanism. I was like way out there in terms of like, no, like those people are objectively like, you know, untouchable or, you know, yeah. So wow, that's yeah. the only thing I came up with, but it was because of the election year. And wow. Yeah. I'm blown away that you just mentioned that because literally this morning I was listening to uh, Colin uh, Morris's Colin of Zion. I don't know if you're aware of him, uh, but yeah, he had an episode uploaded uh, maybe yesterday with guess who? Curtis Yarvin of the Dark Enlightenment, which I was listening to today before our conversation and I, and I even saw Rachel tweet about Yarvin I think yesterday so something Yarvin is in the air right now and the dark enlightenment is in the air and I'm not so aware uh, of of what that is I mean I've I've heard of it I've, I've read little tidbits but I'm not so sure about what it is so I'd actually be curious if you could go like what is your take on not just the dark enlightenment but I also know like from looking at your tweets and whatnot that like and, and knowing that you're like this radical outsider and you don't buy into this, you know, the mainstream left right paradigm. So where do you see like where we are in terms of that and how these other maybe counter movements like the dark enlightenment, like, how do they fit in? Right. Um, so the thing is with people, if they want to like learn about dark enlightenment or they want to learn about um, neo reaction, it's actually hard to do. And the reason is yeah. that I'm sure you noticed this morning with like Curtis, <laughs> that yeah. he is somewhat autistic and he, <laughs> yeah. he, he can't keep to a train of thought. Or like exactly. Goes, exactly. Dives on history. Right. And you're just yeah. like, no, like, what do you think? And like, yeah. it's like really hard to figure that out. Right. So it took a lot of exploration and there's different, obviously different positions within the field, but the general idea is, um, basically that a democratic society is unstable in a certain way um, and that they for, they think that um, a more monarchist type of society where there's you know a ruler um, situation um, some of them want like an ethno state but like like Curtis specifically that's not 
like part of it. Um, they think that'd be more stable and that everyone would be better off that way. And they mm. point to a lot of historical examples and they're analyzing like kind of the trends and especially dealing with this election year and you're watching about like the infighting, things do feel unstable. It does feel like people are, uh, they're living in different worlds. They have different realities. They can't see eye to eye. Um, there's certain trends that like start happening with democratic society in terms of people vote for like a greater and greater, you know, welfare state, people vote for a greater and greater, like just government in general. You get this affiliation of the media and like the cultural elite, the coastal elite coming in and being all mixed together as one. And like, they're unable to understand like, you know, working people, all these kind of things, way of analyzing it and looking at it. I just found that the dark enlightenment brings like a fresh kind of different look at like why the things that are happening mm. might be happening. Um, but that being said, like, I, I don't know in terms of like where it could be going. People, whenever I make any kind of radical, like proposition, people are like, no, no, like, you know, Corona is just going to be over. The economy is going to recover. Like the Democrats will get more moderate again. Like oh, yeah, yeah, everything's yeah. going to be fine. And like, part of me just wants that to not be true. Like, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I just, something new, something different. Let's try something, something different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, here's the thing, like, again, like, as I mentioned before, I was like, I am waiting for the blowback to happen of this whole like Joe Biden. Like, first of all, I am shocked that it's gone as stably as as, as it has. So I don't know if it's just like, I'm just being an accelerationist, just, just like praying for everything just to collapse. Or if I'm just like, really like understand like looks something's gonna go down it's gonna happen real quick which is why i put basically my life savings in stuff like crypto and all that kind of stuff because i'm like something's gonna go down soon i'm i'm feeling so again so again like i don't buy that left right paradigm either and again like things are gonna i've predicted i've made predictions on the show before i see a soft perhaps even a hard collapse coming so what do you think about other alternative systems like other than the dark enlightenment I'm sure that that could that could work for small pockets of like you know neo feudal you know colonies what I don't know like somewhere else in some like parts of the country or the world but like what are your thoughts like on the systems maybe of like uh like a like a like a top down AI system or like or like or some of these other things because that's one of the things that a lot of people especially like you talk about singular singularitarians and people in, in the related spheres talk about hey they're gonna have like this is this AI overlord that like, you know, controls everything and makes all the right decisions. Like, what are your thoughts on like possible governance structures of the future and how like, you know, technology or or, or maybe some anti-technology can play into that? So I used to think that I used to be trying to solve like this problem of what is the best form of governments, governance for everyone? Like what, uh, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. what, not just world government, but like if you look around the world, everything's kind of similar, right? Or it's heading in the same direction. Now, like in the last year, I started to think, maybe there needs to be some kind of separation. Like maybe there is a divergence of humanity where it's not necessarily hostile and it's not necessarily like I'm better than you, but I, this, this idea that we're, we're the same because we're all human. I just don't really accept that anymore. Mm, I think it's possible to think that like some people just have a different evolutionary track. Maybe there's a small faction of people that like, you know, going to break away and somehow form a different, like way different kind of civilization. Um, than like the status quo. But if you think about it, like most people are a normal curve. Most people are very similar to one another, but you always have those outliers. And I think the interesting political things are gonna happen in the outlier community, whether it's like an anarchist thing, a seasetting thing. I don't think like the, I used to think maybe moon colonization would be interesting as a frontier for politics. But now I think because, or not moon, but like Mars, um, when, especially with Elon Musk, like 2035 or whenever it is, it's very soon, like in our lifetimes. 
Um, I used to think that might be a frontier, but now I don't think so because there's there's so many there's a lack of resources on uh, Mars that everything would be kind of throttled by by Earth. But there, I think like it's going to happen at the margins. It's going to be a small group of people. Like I don't think we can expect the widespread kind of adoption of something radically different. I think it's going to be a small group of people. Yeah, absolutely. I've come to the same realization. And this is like one of my um, my problems with the, the, the game B movement. Are you aware of the game B movement? Uh, <laughs> oh, the game. Yeah, there's basically it's like uh, like Daniel Schmachtenberger or Jordan Hall, Jim Rudd. It's basically like like there's game a there's like rivalrous dynamics and all that kind of stuff and you know like uh like negative externalities like like late capitalism and all that like basically everything is just it's it just basically all these old ways these game theoretic ways of being they have like put us in these multipolar traps like they're gonna lead to like you know like like, like systemic collapse of like the entire of, of all of civilization and like game b is like trying to get out of that right uh but you know there's some aspects of game b where it's like okay we got to completely get rid of all rivalry we got to completely have like an omni win civilization everybody wins you know make sure all you know all vectors of the system pointing towards wins for every single person and i got to the point like no like that's utopian thinking and like i came up to this uh came with the game c framework which allows which affords a meta utopia and by meta utopia, not the utopia with the U, but the utopia with an EU, meaning a good place. Basically, we there's going to be a framework where there's a lot of good places with that definition of you, uh, you know, um, come, uh, you know, uh, defined by each group, by each community. Meaning, if your definition of good is like, hey, we're Spartans, we're going to kill all our weak young, and we're only going to raise the like, like, like the hard, the hard warriors. That's their definition of good. They can, if they have the, if they have the ability to like, you know, you know, create their own little pocket, then there's like, they have a, a utopia, a utopia. And it's like, you can have all these different pocket utopias. And I see that just like you, like, it's going to be a plurality of good spaces, a meta utopia. And also I see the breakaway civilization. Like I've talked before with a lot of people, we talk about this, this idea of a human superorganism, right? And like this meta crisis that's happening here, that the crisis of crises is like the grown pains of like this, 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 this emergent human superorganism. But there's also the realization, perhaps there will be aspects of maybe a big pocket of humanity that becomes a, a, a large human superorganism. But then there's gonna be the splinter groups. There's gonna be the ones like, wait a minute. So what is humanity at this point? we're talking about transhumanism what happens when like people alter their biology to the point where they become a different species become to the point where they wait they don't even have a biological substrate anymore what i you know it's like you have like these libertarian types who are just blasting off in the space you know people are right to kind of like mike take is that people are right to kind of like suspect like these like these billionaires like and like elon musk and like uh, like, like jeff bezos like hey this is trying to save themselves you're right they might be trying to save themselves and maybe that's how humanity will spread into the universe because they just blast off by themselves and leave the rest of us behind. And maybe we just burn to death here. So yeah, I can see all of that kind of stuff happening. So I just want to know if you have any thoughts on that of like possible, you know, trajectories for mankind other than, you know, us living happily as one big happy family. Yeah. I don't, I don't see the big happy family. Like scenario. <laughs> and I think yeah. people, it's hard to kind of keep it in mind, but a lot of people are happy with like the current situation. Like we're living better than we've ever lived before. And the things that plague people are things that like either will plague people forever, uh, just the nature of existence, you know, like existentially, the fact of death and pain and stuff, like social acceptance, all these kinds of things, uh, you know, they're always gonna be somewhat there. Um, I mean, maybe not in a far future, but a lot of people like right now, even though there are, things that are difficult in a Western world, like, you know, with a high standard of living, 
they're pretty happy. Um, and then there's those of us who are still radically dissatisfied, you know, like there's some yeah. we're like, no, we need more things mm-hmm. need to be more perfect in a certain way. Like, a, like, I like that idea of the utopia, like kind of uh, where, cause there are, there's disagreement and to, it sounds so antisocial or something to be like, no, like we need to diverge as a species or so, to make like such a statement like that. It doesn't sound very good, but there are like different ideas. Like maybe we, it, maybe it isn't best that we try and always be like, well, we're all human, you know, like mm. maybe, no, like we're different kinds of humans. And I've, I see people who live a completely different lifestyle than me and are very, they're happier than me. Right. Mm. And people are different. And I think it's fine to like, think about a future of divergence, an amicable kind of divergence, whether that's into the solar system or into the sea, whatever it is. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah, there it is. The free radical manifesting itself. It's like, <laughs> that, that's exactly what I love to hear. It's like, perhaps maybe, you know, we see ourselves, maybe we're not just all, you know, see yourself as human. We could be all these other different things, which is why I am not surprised you went uh, down your radical path and why you're here. Free radicals talk to each other, coming together and spreading these amazing ideas into the universe. Uh, Nikki, uh, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so glad that I just uh, unknowingly having, you know, just going into the void. I don't know, the universe telling me, hey, talk to Nikki. I'm like, okay, universe, I'll talk to Nikki. <laughs> and like all this amazing stuff happened. So again, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And like, I would like to turn it over to you for the last question of the day. Ask me anything. What is it? It's like, other than my social security number, which I'll edit out the episode, <laughs> what is one question you'd like to ask Albert? I'll go ahead and I'll answer truthfully. Okay. Um, what is your, um, if you could dream up like the best possible outcome for like what you're doing now, like you said, it started this year with Corona. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to start on this new journey. I know like there's many possible futures and a lot of things are uncertain right now, but if you could dream up, uh like what would be the best outcome that you can think of like what's the goal oh wow now i know what it's like to have the tables turned i'm like the pressure is <laughs> like really the best possible scenario for no and it's funny it's funny because like this is all prefaced with the fact that we just talked about the utopia not the utopia with you but the eu and it's like but for me the ideal scenario that i would want for nomadic nomads is i would like to be like <laughs> You know, it sounds crazy because I, I have I, I've had this vision for a long time. It's gone away recently, but it's always there. I, can't, I have this vision of just leaving of, of leaving this earth and also another vision of myself just like fading into like this bright light, bright white light and just fading away into existence, having like saved the world or something. It's very, it's very, it's very, uh, I don't know, like uh, messianic. Uh, so, and so, so if I, I'm going to be truthful, there is a part of me, like, I want to be part of a movement, possibly lead a movement where we transcend a lot of these, uh, you know, conflicting forces and unite and then blast off into our next stage of evolution and human advancement and possibly and there is a part of me that actually does want to leave this planet and i see myself i'm gonna say it right now and it sounds crazy i i see myself as like being almost like a like a like a like elon musk or jeff bezos i have dreams of like having my own rocket company my own space company 
and leaving this pl- and leaving this planet, but not leaving it like abandoning people, but like just going like with I don't know with whoever else into this new frontier. So what I just said is crazy, and uh, I'm. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you put me on the spot, but like that is. It sounds very grandiose, but that's what I see. I see myself being almost like a visionary leader that gets gets off this planet into a new frontier. So I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad. Charisma, you know, you have yeah. the energy and the charisma, right? And yeah. so, I mean. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, thank you so much. Because look, I don't have Elon Musk's technical chops, right? Like, look, I don't have that, but I have this. I could go like this, right? So maybe I could talk my way onto a spaceship one day. So that's 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 what I'm hoping for, right? Okay. So yeah. again, uh, thank you so much, uh, Nikki. This has been amazing. Uh, so I mean, like, uh, so where can people find out more about the amazing Nikki Olson and when what you're working on? Get in touch with you because I want people to get in touch with you and you get in touch with these amazing people. Oh man, like there's like nowhere, right? Because I'm like part <laughs> I know. Of discords, right, and like yeah. <laughs> I'm like part of so many discords, but it's like you know. Um, I think like I guess Twitter. Like I I've let go of Facebook. I let go. I yeah, I'll find people on Twitter. So my Twitter account is I don't even know. Uh, Nikki L Olson too. Let think, me yes. look it up. <laughs> Yes, it's. I guess we can link to it. Yes, Nikki's only presence on the web is uh, at n i k k i o l s o n two. Right now, don't worry, I'll link it in the show notes in case it's updated to make sure that you get in touch because that's definitely what I want here. I'm trying to connect people like I did at my next generation of sense makers and changing makers event, and then that's where I was like, Nikki, I found out about cryonics. Then I'm like, okay universe talk to her talk to her talk to her so this is where it all comes from so again thanks so much for coming on and this has been amazing and that's it everyone peace out nomads that's it for another episode of no nomads and step up because the world needs you all right and we 